And welcome to the A-Level Politics Show. Today, we will be returning to Congress. Evaluate the view that Congress provides effective oversight of the president. Another word for oversight is scrutiny. But what I would suggest to you is not just simply define uh, the political word, in this case, oversight or scrutiny or Congress or the president, but define the thing that you need to judge. You need to judge if Congress is providing effective scrutiny. So that word effective, how can we define it? Well, what I would do is expand the meaning of it or establish a set of criteria with which to judge effectiveness. So to be effective in oversight, Congress would have to perform its constitutional checks that it has on the president. It would have to provide thorough investigation of the president and it would still allow government to function. So to discuss whether Congress is indeed effective, we are going to judge it against that set of criteria and we're going to be examining or discussing uh, directly those constitutional checks that Congress has, the power that it has assumed of uh, investigation, and we will be looking closely at the circumstances that can either help or hinder oversight, especially the type of government that we have. Is it united when one party controls the presidency and Congress, or is it divided when two parties share that job? The direction of this podcast is to argue that Congress is largely ineffective when it comes to oversight due to hyper-partisanship, that refusal to compromise those ideological differences between the parties. And also that oversight can be extremely weak when there is united government, not always, but most of the time, and overly partisan when there is divided government. What scrutiny exists is largely based on gotcha politics. So after the break, we will be focusing on the first area, and that is the Constitution and what it says Congress can do when it comes to oversight, the many checks that it has. So stand by. There are so many congressional checks that Congress has uh, that it can perform um, against the president. It has the power of the purse, so it can refuse a budget. Democratic lawmakers scale back George W. Bush's trillion dollar tax cuts to the richest 1% of income earners when he was president. Congress can reject, amend or delay all presidential bills. Republican lawmakers have stymied Trump's attempts to overturn Obamacare. Congress, uh, well the Senate anyway, confirms presidential appointments. The Senate um, confirms those nominations to the executive branch and to the judiciary. So Trump's nominee for Army Secretary Vincent Viola withdrew his name from the nomination process after it became clear that the Senate would ask for some difficult questions regarding potential conflicts of interest regarding Viola's financial affairs. The House of Representatives can impeach a president and the Senate hears impeachment trials. Now Nixon, he was not impeached remember, um, but he was forced to resign over the Watergate affair owing to the threat of impeachment. And we see that President Trump became the third president in history uh, to be impe impeached by the House at the end of 2019. 
Congress can overturn a presidential veto. Congress overturned Obama's veto that blocked congressional attempts to give families of 9-11 victims the right to sue Saudi Arabia in US courts. Congress can declare war. The president is the commander in chief, but it he can't go to war without congressional approval. The War Powers Act 1973 further restricts the president's power in this sense um, because it requires the president uh, to inform Congress within 60 days after the commencement of military action. Congress can also withhold military authorization, um, also known as uh, authorizations for military force, as it appeared to do when Obama was forced to pull the vote on action in Syria in 2013. Congress can withhold funds for military op operations as it threatened to do uh, during the Iraq war. So I've just mentioned loads and loads of checks that Congress has and, and several examples across a number of presidencies of those checks being performed. However, the constitutional checks are largely ineffective. Let's go right back to the beginning and the first check I I spoke about the power of the purse, the power to approve or to not approve budgets. Well, there is evidence of the underuse of this power or this way of checking the president. When there is united government, when one party controls both the White House and Congress, it is easy, too easy for the party in power to spend more money. Um, Obama's TARP scheme to uh, prop up failing banks after the credit crunch was criticised for rewarding Wall Street with billions of taxpayers' money. Trump's Tax Cut and Jobs Act 2018 provided huge corporate tax cuts passed thanks to Republican support in both houses. So when you have united government, you tend to get um, a party being able to push through spending measures um, that they approve of. You also, in addition to the underuse of scrutiny when it comes to power of the purse, you may well get abuse of scrutiny when it comes to power of the purse. The government shutdowns over the budget have become a regular occurrence, including the longest in history in December slash January 2017-2018, and one during the Obama administration that led to a downgrading of US debt. It is hard to see how this kind of oversight that leads to the shutting down of government and thousands of federal employees being temporarily laid off is allowing the government to function. It doesn't serve that criteria, one of those criteria that I laid out at the beginning of this podcast. Uh, when it comes to scrutiny, you still have to let government function. If government isn't actually open, you're not letting fu uh, government function. Let's go now to the, the other checks as well. Congress, as I said, can reject, amend or delay presidential bills. There is evidence of underuse, though, of this power. The Patriot Act was passed in just 28 days after 9-11, bypassing the usual committee stages and detailed scrutiny. But more often than not, there is evidence of abuse of this power. In divided government, again, when one party controls the presidency and another controls the legislature or one house of that legislature, that severely curtailed Obama's ability to pass anything of substance in his last six years in office. Partisanship, or gotcha politics, has replaced substantive debate, perhaps most typified by the comments of Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, McConnell who said that his main aim was to make Obama a one-term president. 
what that means is is that the political parties in Congress are more concerned with embarrassing the other side than actually providing meaningful oversight. Let's also go to that Senate power um, to confirm presidential appointments. There is, again, evidence of underuse. Pretty much all of Trump's cabinet were easily approved by the Senate, including a climate change denier, Scott Pruitt, who was confirmed as the head of the Environmental Protection Agency. That seems like a contradiction in terms, if you ask me. Again, though, there's evidence of abuse of power. Republicans in the Senate refused to vote on Merrick Garland, Obama's nominee for the Supreme Court, despite previous comments by Republicans praising his suitability as a Supreme Court judge. The refusal to hold a vote on Merrick Garland and his confirmation stemmed from Republican unwillingness to give the Democrats a win in election year. Again, is this meaningful oversight or is this abuse of the oversight function? As stated earlier, the House of Representatives can impeach a president and the Senate hears impeachment trials. Both the 1998 impeachment of Clinton and the 2019 impeachment of Trump have been reduced to partisanship and to point scoring. Trump's trial in the Senate in 2020 resulted in an easel easy acquittal. This owed much to GOP lawmakers refusing to hear important testimony over Trump's alleged refusal to release military assistance to Ukraine unless that country dug up dirt on Trump's potential campaign rival Joe Biden. This example shows the hyper-partisanship got in the way of meaningful oversight. Did the president put national security at risk, i.e. holding military support for an ally, in order to further his own political career. Well, the Republicans seem more concerned in ensuring that their guy, President Trump, got off lightly. Let's now turn to the other power I spoke about. Congress can overturn a presidential veto. However, a two-thirds supermajority is required in each House of Congress, making a veto override very unlikely. Only one of Obama's 12 vetoes were overridden, and thus far none of Trump's six vetoes have been overridden. So it's a very difficult high bar for Congress to overcome. Now, yes, Congress can declare war. Um, the president is the commander-in-chief, though, and Congress has not declared war since 1941, despite the fact that the US has been involved in more than 20 conflicts since then. Obama did not request approval for military action in Libya and ignored the time limit placed on him by the War Powers Act 1973. Trump did not ask Congress to assassinate, if he could assassinate, Iranian General Soleimani in January 2020. That demonstrates that presidents have a freer hand when it comes to foreign policy and the checks the Constitution puts in place with regards to that power um, are not really working particularly effectively. However, your essay should not just be about constitutional checks. What we see a lot of is students um, really focusing on one check only, and usually it's impeachment, and they go on and on about impeachment. What that shows is that that student lacks a comprehensive knowledge, A, of the full 
array of constitutional checks that are available. And I hope uh, that in this first segment, I gave you um, a lot of examples and a lot of checks. But it also shows the student is unaware of the other things um, that Congress can do. And we are going to focus on investigation in this segment. There are an array of congressional committees that can investigate the executive and they have immense prestige. Uh, let's take standing committees, which are policy specific uh, committees, and they conduct investigations within their own policy area. The House Judiciary Committee investigated Bill Clinton's financial dealings, for example, the so-called Whitewater Affair. The Senate Intelligence Committee and the House Intelligence Committee investigated ties between the Trump campaign and the Russian meddling in the US elections in 2016. You also have, in addition to select committees, sorry, in addition to standing committees, you have select committees. Now, these select committees are temporary investigative committees established to probe a specific issue, such as the Iran-Contra affair in the 1980s or the 9-11 committee. Um, US President Ford appeared before congressional committees. Hillary Clinton appeared before the House Select Committee on Benghazi to answer questions on how she used her personal email when Secretary of state. So we have a, an array of committees. Uh, they often have amendment power as well when it comes to uh, looking at presidential bills. Um, and they also have real prestige and status. However, the effectiveness of congressional investigation is arguably limited. Due to the rise in partisanship, many of these committees I just mentioned about have become less independent. The Russia investigation committees in both the House and the Senate lost all legitimacy and did not probe the links particularly well between Russia and Trump with anywhere like as much detail as the eventual FBI investigation, which established its own impartial special counsel instead. House Intelligence Chairman Devin Nunes, a Republican, appeared to undermine the impartiality of that investigation into ties between Russia and the Trump campaign by visiting with the White House and discussing the committee's findings. It appears he did so for partisan advantage and to curry favour with Trump. Now, Trump's impeachment hearings, as we've mentioned before in the House, were undermined by a refusal of some key witnesses to testify, including former National Security Advisor John Bolton. So investigations are often only wise after the event and take years to, to conclude. They don't necessarily prevent the actual presidential action in themselves. There are a number of circumstances and factors that can help improve congressional oversight. Divided government can lead to more effective oversight. Contrast how the House Intelligence Committee investigated Trump's actions in Ukraine in 2019, when the Democrats controlled the House, with the Russia investigation the year previous, when the Republicans controlled the House. Even United government can produce good oversight. Trump failed on two occasions to repeal Obamacare, once in the House and once in the Senate, and both times owing to his own party rebelling. If a president is unpopular... Congress will likely oversee their work with more effective scrutiny. Bush Jr. had a hard time convincing Congress to authorise military spending in Iraq after the failure to find weapons of mass destruction and his subsequent approval rating poll slump. 
Trump's approval ratings have hovered around 40%, making it harder to convince Republicans to jump on board with those controversial policies such as repealing Obamacare. The closeness of election, in addition to the popularity of the president and whether you have divided United government, can also affect uh, meaningful scrutiny. Um, and you might see increasing congressional assertiveness the closer you get to an election. Members of Congress want to be seen to be doing something uh, to their constituents who uh, stand to re-elect them or boot them out um, in, the, in the months pending. So in 2015, a year before the presidential election, Hillary Clinton was quizzed aggressively over the killing of the US ambassador to Libya in Benghazi and whether she did enough as Secretary of State to prevent that from happening. However, these same circumstances can limit oversight. United government tends to give the president greater leeway in steering through their agenda. Contrast how the House Intelligence Committee, I'm going back to that same example again because I think it's really important, contrast how that committee investigated Trump's actions in Ukraine in 2019 when the Democrats controlled the House with the Russia investigation when the Republicans did. I know it's a repeat of that example, but it, it shows the, the difference between oversight when your own party is investigating you and when it's the other party investigating you. Again, if a president is unpopular, uh, they, they will find it hard to convince Congress to do anything. But when they are popular, Congress will do their bidding. Presidential success rates when it comes to voting in Congress are far higher at the start of their term in the White House when their approval ratings peak. Obama convinced Congress to pass over 90% of the votes he supported in his first year in office and that number seriously declined um, thereafter. The closeness of election, again, as we've said, might see an increase in gotcha politics rather than meaningful oversight. Was that Clinton um, grilling about Benghazi about finding out the truth or was it about damaging her um, presidential ambitions? The failure to seat Merrick Garland in 2016 had nothing to do with his judicial credentials, but with the fact that the GOP wanted to hold out in the hope that a future Republican president would nominate a Conservative to the Supreme Court. So when we get close to an election, we often see that partisanship increase. Um, when a president is popular, when you have united government, oversight uh, is much, much weaker. So therefore, there are circumstances that can aid oversight, but those circumstances can also limit it as well. So there you have it. Congress is not particularly effective at holding the president to account. The fact that President Trump has been acquitted um, for likely wrongdoing um, in his impeachment trial is testament to that fact. If, however, the Senate was controlled by the Democrats, he may have had a harder time. So circumstances can affect oversight. And the main circumstance is the type of government that exists. In united government, oversight is patchy at best. And in divided government, it can be better. Although even then, you often see the situation uh, fall to a situation of, uh, I don't know, embarrassment politics or gotcha politics. Um, that sense that 
You can't give the other side a win. You can't work with the other side. We've seen exceptions in the past. The No Child Left Behind Act passed by um, George W. Bush is testament to parties working together to uh, get stuff done. Uh, demonstrative of government that can actually function yet still provide uh, oversight from the legislature. Yet we don't see much of that today. We see the whole place descending um, into uh, political fights um, and that is why Congress is the least popular of the federal branches when it comes to what people say about their political institutions and one of the reasons for that is because Congress despite all the constitutional checks that it has at its disposal either isn't using them or is abusing them and so I will leave you uh, with that thought. I wish you good luck um, in your forthcoming mocks if you have them. Um, Try that question out, evaluate the view that Congress is effective at overseeing the work of the the president and and try it um, using this podcast and let me know whether you feel that the essay you wrote um, was better as a result. Um, And if not, tell me what you would like to see in future podcasts. Take care. See you again soon.